Well, a few weeks ago, we started a brand new series regarding the, uh, the Holy Spirit, and uh, this is the fifth message in that series. Many of you have been here for uh, all, uh, most of it, but some of you here for all of those uh, messages we've seen in this series so far. And again, today is the fifth message in the series, looking at the person of the Holy Spirit. I- I've shared before uh, as to why we're doing this series, and I don't expect it's going to be real long, uh, maybe another two, three weeks or so potentially. Uh, so it's not a real lengthy series, uh, but there's a real, I think, a real need for us. Us as followers of Christ, a real need for us as churches today to understand who the Holy Spirit is and what part the Holy Spirit wants to play in our lives and in the lives of, uh, of churches. Uh, and, and so there's a lot of misunderstanding about who the Holy Spirit is. There is a range, really, there's a broad spectrum of responses to the Holy Spirit. Those, there are those on one end of the, of the, of the spectrum who completely uh, disregard the person of the Holy Spirit. Even though the Holy Spirit is God, the Bible teaches us about the Trinity, right? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Even though the Holy Spirit is God, and the Bible makes that so clear, there are still people uh, and, and churches uh, that, that completely disregard the Holy Spirit. They're on this end of the spectrum. that have no uh, understanding, no emphasis at all on who the Holy Spirit is or on what He seeks to do. And then you kind of cross, uh, cross all the different degrees, you get to the other end of the spectrum, and you've got believers, Christians, and you've got churches who um, the, the sole focus is on the Holy Spirit, almost to the neglect of everything else uh, in ministry. And uh, a real misappropriation of who the Holy Spirit is, a real misunderstanding, a lot of um, uh, doctrinal error that comes out of that. So I think what God would desire is that we fall somewhere in the middle, you know, where the truth is, so that we can, can shape our understanding of the Holy Spirit based on what the Bible tells us, not on what some denomination tells us, not on what some other, you know, uh, Christian tries to tell us, but just on what the Bible says, because the Bible tells us a whole lot about who the Holy Spirit is and what He wants to do in our lives. So that's what we've tried to do through the course of this particular series. Some of the things we've seen is that the Holy Spirit is the primary means by which God makes Himself real today. That when you think about having a real encounter with God, and hopefully that's something that's on your radar, when you think about having a real encounter with God, it, it does come through reading the Bible, it does does come from being in church. It does come from engaging in worship. But really the way God makes himself most real today in a person's life is through the person of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and, and when the Holy Spirit moves in a person's life, when the Holy Spirit begins to live God's life through us, that's how God makes himself most real today is through the person of the Holy Spirit. So we've looked at that in this series. We've kind of dug in there and we focused on that. But one of the other things that we've recognized through this series is ultimately that, that, that when the Holy Spirit indwells a Christian, when you pray and you choose to follow Jesus Christ, meaning you don't just get involved in some religion, but you choose as an act of your will that I'm going to follow Jesus and I'm going to turn from my sin the best that I can. The Bible calls that repentance. And I'm going to, and I'm going to ask Jesus to take his whole payment on the cross and apply it to my life that he'll forgive me and take over, that when you do that, the Bible teaches us that at that very moment, the Holy Spirit, God himself, takes residence in your life. He indwells you. And one of the things we've looked at through this series is that, that when you accept Christ, yes, you are indwelled by the Spirit of God. God takes residence in you, which is an amazing thought in itself. But beyond that, God doesn't want just to indwell you. He wants to control you, every aspect of your life. And so last Sunday especially, if you weren't here, man, I would really encourage you to carve out about 35 minutes out of your schedule. Listen to the message from last Sunday on our website, because what we did was we unpacked what it means to be controlled by the Holy Spirit, to be controlled by God himself. And some of what we pulled out there was that we have to keep a short list of our sin as Christians, that we have to be sure 
that we don't embrace sin. If we do embrace sin, the Bible calls that grieving the Holy Spirit uh, because he, he is holy. He is a, the Holy Spirit. So we can't embrace sin and grieve the Spirit of God. When we do, that short circuits our closeness to God. It short circuits our fellowship with him. And so when we live distanced from sin, that enables us to live under the control of the Holy Spirit. But also, we don't want to quench the Holy Spirit, the way the Bible says. In other words, we don't want to live life in our control, not His. <laughs> we don't want to take control of certain areas of our lives. We don't want to take control of certain compartments of our lives to, to the degree to where we kick God to the curb. And we say, no, you can't have this area of my life. This is under my control. We don't want to go there. And, and when we do, it's called quenching the Holy Spirit. And so how do we live under the control of the Holy Spirit? We live when we keep a short list of sin. We let sin go. We walk closer with God in a way that's holy, a way that's clean, a way that's close. But then we also live under the control of the Holy Spirit in us. We let him live his life through us. The Bible calls that being filled with the Spirit. And so, um, so as we've, we've moved through this series, those are some of the things we've looked at. As I closed out the message last Sunday... I said, so then how, how, do we, how do we live, how do we walk under the control of the Spirit? Not just keeping sin at a distance, letting it go, not just keeping uh, 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 an account of our yielding ourselves consistently to God's control, but also we need to spend time with God daily. We spend time with Him, we develop a close walk with Him, and we follow wherever He leads. So that's what I want us to look at this morning. How, how does the Holy Spirit play into our daily routine of drawing close to God, of developing a closeness with Him, but then at the same time following His lead wherever He leads us? That's what we're going to focus on this morning. So if you have a relationship with God and you've wondered to yourself, you've thought, all right, so, so how do I walk under the control of the Holy Spirit? I know keep sin at a distance. I know let, let Him be in control. I know spend time with Him daily. But, but how do I do that? How do I follow His lead? That's what I want us to unpack. So let me read a quote to you. I've been going through a book here recently, uh, a book by a man named Francis Chan about the Holy Spirit. It's titled Forgotten God, which I think is a, a very intriguing uh, title, Forgotten God, speaking of the person of the Holy Spirit, how we often fail to emphasize who the Holy Spirit is. Uh, just take a look at this quote. You can read it along with me on the overhead. I think it's just phenomenal how it, how it emphasizes as churches and as Christians our um, reluctance to lean on the person of the Holy Spirit. He says, the benchmark of success in church services has become more about attendance than the movement of the Holy Spirit. And that is so true, isn't it? Most churches will gauge whether they are successful by how many people are, are sitting out in the seats. You know, and, and if you had 400 last year and you've got 500 now this time a year later, most churches will say, hey, wow, God is moving. We are a success. That could not be further from the truth. It says, rather, the entertainment model of church was really largely adopted in the 80s and the 90s. And while it alleviated some of our boredom for a couple of hours a week, it filled our churches with self-focused consumers rather than self-sacrificing servants attuned to the Holy Spirit. Now, before we go on to the next slide, let me just pause there for a second. I could not agree with that more. Because what you see today, at least in, in ministry world, when you, uh, if you visit a lot of churches, you go online, you, you purchase products that, you know, for different pastors and different ministry leaders, much of it is very, very good. 
But there has also come a danger with ministry today where people are treating God as though he is just, just this big, you know, pull the lever and get whatever you want out of him. That is not the way God seeks to operate. Yes, he blesses. Yes, he loves his people. But man, I'm telling you, he, he is holy. And uh, he's not going to be treated like some you know, slot machine where we put the quarter in and pull the handle and see what he gives us. That's not the way he operates. And a lot of ministries today, that's exactly the way they operate, right? And there is a real tendency to move that direction, you know, kind of a y'all come mentality. And when you come, you're going to feel really good. And when you come, you're going to leave feeling really good. And when you come, we're going to do whatever we need to do to scratch the itch, wherever it is in your life, and we're going to make you feel good and send you out. You're just going to have a good, happy week. Listen, I'm all for joy, and I'm glad God gives joy, and I've got, I feel like I've got, I've got some of that in my life, you know? but it is more than just feeling good. I mean, there's a place where we have to do ministry the way God dictates, and it's not about just being entertained. It's not just about, hey, I really like that music. I think I'll join there. Hey, I really like the stories that guy tells. I think I'll go listen to him. It is about so much more than that. Francis Chan goes on. Look at this next slide, continuing this thought. He says, perhaps we're too familiar and comfortable with the current state of the church to feel the weight of the problem. But what if you grew up on a desert island with nothing but the Bible to read? Imagine being rescued after 20 years and then attending a typical evangelical church. Chances are you'd be shocked, <laughs> he says, for a whole lot of reasons. That's another story. Having read the scriptures outside the context of contemporary church culture, you would be absolutely convinced that the Holy Spirit is as essential to a believer's existence as air is to staying alive. And yet there are so many Christians, if you ask them, who is the Holy Spirit? What is the role of the Holy Spirit alive today? It's just a big head scratcher, you know? So, well, I don't really know. You know, churches I go to don't really teach a whole lot about it. And that's tragic. That's tragic because it's our dependence upon the Holy Spirit that is really the fuel to ultimately being who God wants us to be, as we're going to see through this message, and being a church that God wants us to be to reach the culture for the sake of the gospel. I put together a little diagram. I want you to take a look at it. And uh, it's nothing. This is, this is about the extent of my artwork right here. And, and I didn't even do this. I just kind of gave the concept. and Somebody else had to put it together because I, I can't even draw this. So I'm not much of an artist. Um, but take a look at this diagram. I just want to show you something here for, for just a few minutes. Here are just different components of life, right? You've got your will, uh, my will. Let's say my obedience, my will. You, you exert your will in different ways through, through your day. Um, so you've got, got your will. Then there's God's Word that influences your life. Then you've also got the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, who influences your life. Now, let's just say when, when you move through life, all three of these, these aspects are in play for you as a Christian. If you're a follower of Christ, all three aspects of these come into play to, to varying degrees. So let's just say for the sake, let's just remove one of those. Let's, let's remove the Holy Spirit. Say you try to live your life by your will. You try to live a life of obedience solely dependent on God's Word. That sounds really good, doesn't it? Because we often as Christians are encouraged to spend time in Scripture. I mean, you're probably sitting there holding a Bible. If not, we got one outside. We'd love to give you. It's that important. Scripture is important. We try to study it. We try to learn it in our children's ministries, in our preschool ministries even. We try to begin early in helping children to understand the importance of God's Word. But if you try to live God's Word out in your life, apart from the, from the power and the direction and the, con the control of the Holy Spirit, here's what's going to happen for you. There is a really good chance you are going to be a miserable, legalistic Christian 
who tries to impose truth into people's lives without giving them anything they, they, any kind of sense of encouragement or power to, to, uh, to live it out consistently. And what you're also going to ultimately become is a Christian who not only is probably legalistic because there's no sense of the Holy Spirit at work, it's just you and God's Word, what's probably going to happen is you're also going to become very, very frustrated because what you're going to find is, is that there is a lot in this book <laughs> that God gives for our ultimate good that you and I can't live out in our own strength. So that the next time you are in conflict and something heads south in your marriage or in a work relationship or with a friendship, and there's real friction there, and there, you know, things aren't clicking, and you're not talking, and things aren't good, and, and, uh, and you don't have any desire to resolve it, and you come and you read a passage of Scripture that talks about forgiving others as Christ has forgiven us, or you look at kind of the big picture, and you see, well, Jesus is, is one who forgives. He's a God who forgives. Maybe I should. And you try to, you try to apply that to your, to your circumstance without leaning on the control of the Holy Spirit. Man, you're going to get so frustrated, so incredibly frustrated. Because we can't live out God's Word in our own strength consistently. We might hit a couple of them here and there. You know, the ones that kind of benefit us. But we're not going to be able to live over the long haul. We're not going to live out God's Word consistently without the Holy Spirit giving us strength to do that. All right? So, so the triangle gets out of balance whenever we remove the purse of the Holy Spirit. Let, let's kind of flip this around here. Let, let's say it's our will and the purse of the Holy Spirit, but we don't spend time in God's Word. <laughs> you know, we don't ever open up His truth. We rarely do. Maybe you know, a couple of Sundays a month, uh, maybe, maybe one Sunday a week, but you know, the Bible sits on our shelf uh, you know, through the other six days. And really what we do is we feel all good about the Holy Spirit, you know, but we don't spend time in Scripture. We don't have any truth to base it on. There is a real danger in that. Because here's what's going to happen. You'll find a, a Christian who, uh, who blames things on God that don't need to be blamed on God. You'll find Christians that blaming God will make decisions that are not rooted in truth. And they'll say things like this. Well, God wants me happy. And I'm happy with this other person that I'm not married to, despite the fact that I'm already married to someone. God wants me happy. I believe his spirit is leading me to happiness. And so though I'm married, I'm just going to hook up with this person because that's what God seems to want for me. That is completely contrary to anything you'll read in scripture, right? And that's just one example of many where if we are not balanced, we can blame a lot of things on the Holy Spirit that God led me to do this. We can blame a lot of things on God that don't need to be blamed on God that we could have easily, easily gotten right had we only spent time in His Word. Because the Holy Spirit, listen, this is so important, the Holy Spirit is never going to lead you to do anything contrary to the truth of God that He's already written in Scripture. Now, let, let's remove the Holy Spirit from the equation. Th this, is where the, this is where the big train wreck happens. <laughs> when we try to make decisions without the influence of Scripture and without the influence of the Holy Spirit, well, there's not much explanation. That's just train wreck. That's just off the tracks, in the, in the woods. It's just a matter of time. And if you're one of those people, uh, most of us have been that guy at times in our lives, and we don't have a lot of good stories to tell about it. If you're that person, th this, this guy, you know, who you're just kind of living life, making decisions, you know, kind of flying by the seat of your pants and what feels right, you're doing it. No influence of God's Word. There's no dependence upon the person of the Holy Spirit. Man, that's, that's just a grease fire waiting to, waiting to happen. And uh, there'll be people who love you and will be there to help you clean up mess, 
but it doesn't have to be that way. <laughs> you know, God's given you too much scripture and he's given you too much promises through his spirit to help us to get it right. And so what, what, is, what is the aim? Again, it's, it's all of those components in place. It's we make our decisions fueled by the truth of God's word, lived out in the power of the Holy Spirit. And when we do that, what happens is we tend to have a life that brings fulfillment on the inside, that honors God on the outside. Does that make sense? Is that clear? This means yes, this means no. I'll go all back over it again if you'd like. Uh, I, I don't mind, I, I, can, I can do that. All right, so, so, so let's move on and, and, and hit a, a few of these things I think that are important. So, so here's what we're looking at. You, you've, got, you've got our decisions, our lives, fueled by interaction with God's word and being driven by the person of the Holy Spirit. So here's something you may not be aware of, that, that it's the Holy Spirit who, who really was, was in, 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 I would say, completely totally most important in regards to seeing Scripture written in the first place. Take a look at this passage of, uh, of Scripture. It's in Second Peter. Uh, look, look at what it says here. Peter writes, he says, but know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture, in other words, there is not one verse in the Bible that you hold, no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men... Moved by who? By the Holy Spirit spoke from God. If you've ever wondered, how do we even get our Bible? You may have encountered people. You may even be this person who says, I don't really place a lot of credence in Scripture because it was just a book written by a bunch of men. You know what? You're exactly right. It is a book written by a bunch of men. <laughs> but where you missed it is that you should give a lot of credence to it because it wasn't just a bunch of men who wrote it. It was God ultimately who wrote it through them. This passage is what tells us this. It tells us that men moved by the Holy Spirit ultimately are the ones who penned the words to Scripture, and they did so as the Holy Spirit, God himself, moved them. 2 Timothy 3, 16 sheds a little more light. It says all Scripture, every bit of it, Old Testament, New Testament, is inspired by God, and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. That word inspired is an interesting word. It literally, in the Greek language, literally, it means God-breathed. So that when you let Scripture interpret itself and when you let Scripture define itself, the way it defines itself is that Scripture is written, breathed by God himself, inspired by the Holy Spirit as he moved through the writing of people. That's why when you read different passages of Scripture, they read differently. Some people would say, well, if this is a book written by God, why didn't it all sound the same? Because God wrote it through people. That's why when you read books like Psalms, for example, a book of poetry, it's going to read differently than a narrative such as one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, sounds like a diary account. It's because different people wrote those two things. When you read books of prophecy, they're going to read differently. These books are going to be shaped from a literary perspective by the authors that God used to write them. God didn't turn them into robots and they all write consistently. What he did was he inspired them, and yet the books of Scripture still bear the marks of those men who wrote these individual books. Are you with me? They still bear the marks, but it was God who inspired them so that we can trust what it says. There's not one error in the original writings of Scripture, not one error anywhere there. We can bank on it, we can live by it, we can apply it to every aspect of our lives. It's the Holy Spirit, ultimately, who had the key role in putting that together. It's called inspiration. You may not have known that. Did you know as well that it's ultimately the Holy Spirit who helps you to understand what scripture says. Have you ever read the Bible? You sat down and you read a passage, say like, uh, you know, John chapter four. Let me just pull one off the top of my head. 
And you sit down and you do a little devotion there and you read John chapter 4, you read, you know, 10, 15, 20 verses and you read through that and uh, it just really didn't move you a whole lot, you know, you maybe picked out something that was helpful. But then you come back a year, two, three years later and you sit down and you read that same passage of Scripture. Nothing has changed, but it's like it jumps off the page and it means everything. You ever had that happen? That's because the Holy Spirit living in you as a Christian, it's called illumination, is bringing it to light. Literally, he's illuminating it. He is helping you to understand. There are times that I preach a message, for example, and there will be people that will say, man, it was like you were just speaking right straight to me. And I just want to bust out laughing. You know, I wouldn't do that because you'd probably run me out of here. You'd think someone's... But I just want to laugh. Why? Because I don't know even... I don't have a clue about your circumstances. I, mean, I don't know what you're facing. And yet, and yet somehow, whatever I said... You know, you, you come up and you say, man, it was like you were talking straight to me. Kind of creeped me out a little bit. It's like you're talking straight to my circumstance. You know, one or two, three people say that. There are times that people will say things to me through the years. This doesn't happen a lot. But times they'll say, you know what, it's like you said one time. And I'll think, I never said that. It sounded good, I'll take credit for it. But I didn't, I don't remember ever saying that in that, that message. It's the Holy Spirit taking his word and illuminating it. Applying it ultimately to your life. The Holy Spirit does that. Look at what it says in John chapter 14. Jesus says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things, and he will bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. John 16, look at what he says, the next passage. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. You go down towards the bottom, verse 15. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore, Jesus says, I said that he, the Holy Spirit, takes of mine, Jesus, the Son, and will disclose it to you. We shouldn't be surprised when God's truth rings true in our lives because if we're Christians, the Holy Spirit, that's his job. That's part of his job description is to take the truth of God and apply it to your life. And, and again, it's called illumination. You may not realize that. It's the Holy Spirit ultimately who gives us the strength to live it out. The Holy Spirit who gives you the strength. When you encounter a passage of Scripture, it's the Holy Spirit who gives you the strength to put that to practice in your life. Look at what it says in Hebrews, for example. There's a passage in the New Testament in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12. It says, pursue peace with all men and what? The sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. What's the word sanctification mean? It's a big word. It just simply means to be made holy. When you gave your life to Christ, you were made holy in your standing before God. That's why God lets us into heaven, because through Christ, we're made holy. But there's a place where we don't always act holy <laughs> when we accept Christ. Uh, that might have been a shocker to you when you got saved, uh, that you weren't suddenly like Mr. Holy Man uh, walking around. Uh, God grows us and he molds us over time. That's called sanctification. You may have the, the misconception that, well, my job is just to kind of sit back in the, in, the, in the easy chair, come to church, feel all good. And then I leave, and, and if I'm not made holy, and if I, you know, say something I'm not supposed to say to my, to my spouse, or if I, you know, do something wrong at work, well, that's God's fault, because God's supposed to make me holy. That's not my job. That verse says that it's our responsibility to pursue not only peace, but also sanctification. It is our job as Christians. It is our responsibility to pursue taking the holiness that God has given us through Christ and applying it, fleshing it out in our lives daily. That's our responsibility. We try to do that in our own strength, we'll fall flat on our face. But if we let the Holy Spirit take control of us and we follow his lead, 
And when he convicts us of sin, we put it away. When he says, hey, you need to go do this, we go do it. When he says, you need to put that away, we put it away. When the Holy Spirit leads us, never in contradiction to God's word, but as he, as he moves in our lives and we follow his lead, what are we doing? We're pursuing sanctification. We're pursuing holiness so that we live a life ultimately that begins to look different. And if we do that long enough, here's what happens. It's the Holy Spirit who brings the changes that come in our lives as we apply his word and as we follow his lead. The Holy Spirit changes us. We won't go to the passage, but last week we looked at Galatians. uh, In Scripture, it talks about the fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and patience and kindness goodness and gentleness and self-control. The list could go on and on. God begins to change lives. He changes them from the inside out as we do what? As we partner his word with living under the control of his spirit and as we make our decisions with all those things mixed together. God molds us and he matures us and he shapes us. And he changed us. And it should make, this should be no secret. This should not be a surprise to us. Why? Because after all, the Holy Spirit, I think we established, he he wrote God's word. He, He inspired it. It's he who, the Holy Spirit who illuminates it, brings it to light in our lives. It's the Holy Spirit who gives us the strength to apply it. And it's the Holy Spirit who produces the fruit and the changes that come as we do that. So that when you, when you begin to think about that original diagram I showed you, Listen, the Holy Spirit's not in the equation. We're in trouble. If God's word is not in the equation, we're in deep trouble. But as all, as all those things work together, God ends up ultimately producing a changed life. He ends up producing a life that looks a lot like him. So what's the takeaway? I hope you'll jot this down. I'm just about done. I hope you'll jot this down because it's so important. The takeaway is this. It's like a math equation. I hated math when I was in school. I dropped math twice. I took basic college algebra at Armstrong, right? At two or three different quarters. It was quarters back then. And uh, I took it twi- two or three times. I dropped it at midterm. I know none of y'all ever did that. Um, uh, translation, my grade was so bad I couldn't continue in the class. So I transferred to Georgia. And when I got to Georgia, I took college algebra, got my C, and I got out of there as fast as I can. You can still see dust falling in the air from how fast I scooted out of there. So I'm not very good at math, but here's a math equation for you, okay? And what I found is that this works really well. The God's word plus God's spirit plus my obedience produces a godly life. And when you think, you know what, Brooks, I wish I had some of that in, in my life. I wish I had some of that maturity because, you know what, I had a tough week this week and uh, I had some circumstances come up and I thought I would have handled them better as a Christian, but I just made a mess of it. Man, I, I really need, I really need encouragement. I don't just need encouragement. I, I need maturity in my life. You may say, you know what, Brooks, I've gone through a a trial here recently in the past few weeks or so, and man, I thought I was stronger. (laughs) And this trial, this hard time that I faced has just shown me I'm not as strong as I thought I was. I really need some depth to to my walk with God. I'm not where I think I need to be. How do I get there? Bingo. It's interaction with God's Word. As we're led by God's Spirit, plus our obedience in light of those things that produces the godly life. And if you want a life that honors God, and if you want a life that reflects Christ, if you want a life that bears the marks of godliness and righteousness, if you want that, 
There is no other substitute. There is no shortcut. There is no other way around it. It is going to be life shaped by the truth of God's word, lived out through the power of the Holy Spirit in your own individual decisions on a daily basis. And it's as you do that, there is no other, there is no other way. There is no Christian speaker who has some book that he's written outside of the Bible that has some secret little key. They look good on the title and they sell a bunch of books, but they're not there. This is what produces the godly life. Life shaped by God's word, lived in the, in the power of the Holy Spirit, lived out daily through our will, our, our choices, our decisions. That's what produces the godly life. And there's a couple of implications that come with this. A couple of implications we need to be aware of. One of those implications then is that if we're not spending time with God in his word, then we should not expect to have a godly life. <laughs> I mean, it's just that simple. If, if your or my interaction with scripture is scattered and spotty and uh, inconsistent, then we should not be surprised. Listen, this is just the law of the jungle. We should not then be surprised when our life looks like a scattered, jumbled, inconsistent life. <laughs> if we're not being shaped by God's word, listen, I'm, for some, there are some decisions we can make that it only takes one, and we've lost almost everything but our salvation. You could leave here today if you don't believe me, ask King David when you get to heaven. And you can make some choices today. As a Christian, as a follower of Christ, you can make some choices that have not been spoken into by the truth of God's word that are made outside of the control of the Holy Spirit. You can make a choice today that will cause you to lose virtually everything except your eternal security, your salvation. If you choose not to apply this simple equation to your life. Man, I'm telling you, we got to be people of the book. we got to be people spending time in God's Word. That's why we have Sunday school classes. It's why we do things like Dive that start up tonight that put people in Bible studies. It's why we do this virtually in every ministry we have, from preschool through children, through students, through adults. It's why we seek to immerse people in the truth of God's Word. It's because it's that important. And so one of the implications of all this is you can't experience an abundant life if you are not ultimately living with consistent time in God's word. Second implication is you can't expect an abundant life if you're not dependent on the Holy Spirit. If you're not dependent on him daily. If you're just living life kind of on your strength, through your intellect, through what you bring to the table. Hey, I've got the skill set to do this. I don't really need God. I'll call him when I need him. Hey, I say the blessing before meals and I pray now I lay me down to sleep before I go to bed. What more do I need to do? Come on, just leave me alone. I'm okay with God. If that's your mindset and you're not living completely, totally dependent on him, don't be surprised when you can't say, you know what, I don't have joy. Don't be surprised when you can't say, you know what, I don't feel like God's working in my life. Don't be surprised when you can't say, you know what, I, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't have the, the, that sense that, that God is here for me, working through me, making changes in my life and, and, and changing other people's life through me. Don't be surprised when you can't say that. If you're not living life fully dependent on the person of the Holy Spirit. Do you really want to be the same this time next year as you are today? Is that, what, is that what you really want? Do you want to be the same six months from now as you are today? Same old parent? Same spouse? Same friend? Same person? 
Are you content just being the same from here on out as you are today? I'll tell you, for me, God reminds me consistently in my life of how far I have to go to be like Christ. And if we ever get to a place where, you know what, God, I'm just content with where I am. I'm, I'm good till I, till I get to heaven. That is a very, very dangerous place to be. That's when the foot is off the gas. You've told the Holy Spirit, I'm not going to be dependent upon you. You've looked at Scripture and said, I don't need this unless I have a crisis, then I'll come looking into God's Word. And you've placed yourself in a position that is extremely, extremely dangerous. One last quote from the same book that I've been reading. It's one that I think if we give it the attention it deserves will cause some significant thought into things like this. He says the Holy Spirit is absolutely vital to our situation today. Of course, He is always vital, but perhaps especially now. After all, if the Holy Spirit moves, nothing can stop Him. If He doesn't move, we will not produce genuine fruit no matter how much effort or money we spend. The church becomes irrelevant when it becomes a purely human creation. We are not all we were made to be when everything in our lives and churches can be explained apart from the work and the presence of the Spirit of God. Let's pray. Lord, as we move through Scripture, it becomes really clear that you never called us to live this life on our own. Lord, you did give us your word, and we're grateful. It's your truth. It never leads us astray. But God, we find very quickly when we begin to read it that there are things there that we just don't have what it takes to live it out in our lives, that we need help. And God, I thank you that in the Gospels it tells us in John that Jesus himself promised that he would send a helper, and we know him now to be the Holy Spirit, God himself, who comes to give fuel to our lives, who comes to give us the encouragement that we need, who comes to give us gifts and comes to give us strength and to give us power so that when we interact with your word, it's the Holy Spirit as we lean upon him and depend upon him who gives us strength to do that, to live it out daily. It brings your word to light in us. It helps us to see the truth of your word, how it applies to our lives. And so God, when we think about living a life that's godly, I really hope kind of the basic building block here is that this is a desire of most everybody here, that we want to live a godly life. I mean, I want to be a godly dad and a godly husband and a, a godly man. Lord, every, every part of, of, of life that, that I touch, God, I, I want you, I want your fingerprints kind of to be all over that. That's what I desire. i got so far to go. But God, I hope that's the desire of most everybody, if not every single person here, is that we live a godly life. But Lord, at the same time, help us to know that we have to be people who spend time in your word. And we need to read it, let it read us, let it shape us. And, and we need to be completely and totally dependent upon your spirit. With no sin, Lord, that we confess it, we let it go. God, that we uh, relinquish control of our lives to you. And where you lead, we follow. God, for those who are here this morning who, who don't know you, they don't have a relationship with you, they don't have the peace of knowing what it's like to be forgiven. God, I pray that today, right where they sit, that they'll start at the very first step of seeing Jesus for who he is, God who came and who died and who rose so that their sin can be forgiven. And Lord, right where they sit today, those who don't know you, I pray that they'll be quick to pray, inviting Jesus to, to come and to forgive 
every sin they've committed and to take over their life from this day forward. That they would choose today to be a follower of Jesus. And so, Lord, help us to apply this message however we should. Whatever you'd have us to do, help us, help us to follow. God, may you get the glory for the decisions we make, for the lives we live, for the effect that comes. May you get all the glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand this morning as we sing our song of invitation. Now, this is an opportunity for you to respond as God leads, as we sing. If you need to pray, you can pray right where you are. If you want to slip out and come forward, you can do that. If you have a decision to make, I'd love to hear about it. And so as we sing, as God moves, won't you follow him this morning as we sing together? Thank you. You can be seated. I'd like to ask our ushers to slip out and come forward uh, this morning for us to collect our offering, and uh, you guys can come now. If you're our guest today, this may be one of your first times visiting here, or you may have a prayer uh, request. You filled out one of those connection cards that Nathan mentioned earlier. We'd love for you to drop it in the plate uh, as it comes by. And uh, for those of us who give consistently here, we're part of this ministry. Yeah, this is a time for us to show our worship to God uh, and to show our faith in Him as well. You know, it, it's, you know when you look practically uh, at giving and uh, you know, for churches and for Christians specifically who give uh, uh, as an act of their, of their will in an ongoing fashion, that is, uh, that's a step of faith. I mean, there are other places we could find for this money to go, aren't there? I mean, there are bills we could pay. There are other things we could do.